I've listened to Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers for more than a year and a half. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. Only a year and a half, huh? Uh, Yeah, actually. As a matter of fact, I've only been listening to this album for a little over a year and a half. It uh, was kind of a a latecomer to my radar in terms of its age. I know it's a lot older than that, but it just got here. Let me ask you, do you like spicy foods? No. No. I think we learned that with some supplemental content that's hopefully going to make its way to our website at some point. It's, Connor does not handle <laughs> spicy food well. so I like spicy. No, okay. Let's, I like spicy food, but I'm not like a hardcore spicy food guy. So like my definition of spicy is like slightly above mild. And then, you know, I'm not like the people who are getting like ghost peppers and stuff. You know, I'm not into that. Sure. Well, but we're not talking about mild. What if we're talking about something that's like red hot? Uh... Uh, that depends. Is it a chili pepper? In this case, yes, it is. Well, I guess we'll find out at the end of the episode whether or not I like them. I guess we will. And this is it. This is the album that we've dreamed of, Californication. Uh, that's what we're talking about today. It's an album we've talked about before. Yeah, we've alluded to it a couple times. You remember when? I remember when. Well, indirectly, we talked about it way back on the test episode when we did Kings of Leons around the world. Yeah, because I said that it was my second favorite all around the world. Yeah, which you said your first favorite was this one, the Red Hot Chili Peppers around the world. Yeah. Yeah, we've. this is our second around the world song. Going around the world a second time. That's right. Let's hope it doesn't take us 80 days to do it. So you're already a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. You're, you're, in a, you're coming in with some knowledge uh yeah i mean i'm fan enough my mother is a red hot chili peppers fan oh okay you're hot chili pepper adjacent i've heard their songs and i knew who they were since i was young but they're not a band i necessarily listen to all too often i see well i'll give you a little history lesson how about that a red hot history lesson the red hot chili peppers were formed in 1983 by four high school classmates we've had some high school bands before Actually, you know, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers are another one. Add them to the formed in high school group. It was formed by vocalist Anthony Kiedis, bassist Flea, and former guitarist Hillel Slovak, and the former drummer Jack Irons. And he would later go on to join Pearl Jam, actually. But Slovak died of an overdose in 1988, and Irons left shortly after that, which eventually made way for longtime guitarist John Frusciante and longtime drummer Chad Smith. The band's still active today, and they've released a dozen studio albums. Their most recent, called Unlimited Love, actually just dropped back in April of 2022. A really recent release. And uh, since you've listened to some Red Hot Chili Peppers songs, I'm sure you already know, they're a very unique blend of rock, funk, hip-hop, and, I mean, a lot more kind of thrown into the melting pot. Mm -hmm. You tried to sneak some more rap in on me under the radar. (laughs) I would hardly call it under the radar, and I would also almost hardly call it rap, but it is, but it's not. Uh, it, yeah. It's uh, There's, it's like rap rock. They're like a very niche genre of rap rock out there, and I think they would classify as that. At least some of those songs. Yeah, definitely. They've been called funk metal, rap rock, and other more unusual blends of genre. The Red Hot Chili Peppers, this is a fact that might have interested the mixtaper, 
The Red Hot Chili Peppers wasn't their original name. They tried a few on for size, including such classically memorable names as Tony Flo and the miraculously majestic Masters of Mayhem. Also known as... Mm, yeah. It's like a microwave. Mm. It's, it's like a microwave? That's the thing you think of when you think of a humming sound? I don't know. That's a pretty classic microwave sound. The like humming of a microwave, watching your food go round and round. It'll make your food red hot. Maybe that's where they got the idea. You know, I've heard of people microwaving uh, peppers. <laughs> microwaving peppers? Yeah, to yeah. clear a room. <laughs> also a callback to the test episode. We're really connected <laughs> all the way back. That was a bizarre connection <laughs> I did not expect to make. But the band <laughs> settled. They, they ditched mmm, and they settled on the Red Hot Chili Peppers not too long after that. And wow, has the name ever become iconic. The band's first performance was at a small lounge club. They were an opening act. And what they did was they improvised all their music while Anthony Kiedis rapped over top of them, which I think is a very early indication of the sound they'd adopt and the direction that they would pursue as a band. And why they get classified as rap rock. <laughs> because the band rocks and Kiedis raps? Uh-huh. That might be. Well, in, in 1984, they put out their debut album, self-titled The Red Hot Chili Peppers, and it took off. The album moved 300,000 copies, and they started a rigorous tour schedule that saw them play 60 shows in 64 days. A few albums later, you know, they're established, they're getting on the road, they got in touch with none other than Rick Rubin to produce their fourth record called Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Do you remember Rick Rubin? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the guy from Johnny Cash, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rick Rubin is the founder of Def Jam and American Recordings. American Recordings is where Johnny Cash signed later in his career, but he's also famous for his work with the Beastie Boys and other rap rock groups like that. Small world out there in the music business, isn't it? It's kind of funny. Rick Rubin would produce six of the band's 12 albums to date, so he's, he's definitely a significant player in the Red Hot Chili Peppers' sound, style, and history. Blood Sugar Sex Magic, the fourth album there, it did wonders for the band, and it produced some enormous hits like uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers' Staples, Give It Away, and Under the Bridge. Two of the songs that I actually knew, independently of listening to this album, were pursuing the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Under the Bridge is a good song. It is, it really is. I'm really sad that Under the Bridge wasn't on this album. I know. Well, you got to make decisions. You got to make cuts sometimes. And yeah. uh, maybe in the future. You know, Blood Sugar Sex Magic would be a great album to revisit Red Hot Chili Peppers with. But uh, let's flash forward a few more albums to Californication, the band's seventh record and their most commercially successful to date, which is another reason we should pick Californication as kind of their most popular and well-known so far. Suffice it to say, the 80s and 90s, for a myriad of reasons, were kind of the pinnacle of Red Hot Chili Peppers' career. But they've had a very successful and influential career over the last nearly 40 years regardless. It's, you know, it's persisted outside of those two decades. They made it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2012, and they currently hold three big, big records on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart with most number one singles, with 12, they're the record holder for the most cumulative weeks at number one with 85 weeks. Whoa. And they have the most top 10 songs with 24. 85 is pretty impressive. Yeah, it's, it's very impressive. Imagine, I know, you just release a dozen songs and spend 85 weeks at number one. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Record holding awesome. They've got four American Music Association Awards, three Brit Awards, two California Music Awards, 
and six Grammys on 16 nominations. And they're also pretty famous for their slew of MTV awards that they've earned over the years. Rolling Stone placed both Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, and Californication on their very first 500 Greatest Albums of All Time list in 2003, and they ranked at number 310 and 399 respectively. And they've actually each been on every iteration of the list since then too. So they've got staying power. The Red Hot Chili Peppers earned their star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in March of 2022, very, very recently. And uh, some other Red Hot Chili Peppers tidbits that might interest you, a little extra spice. They're very much an activism band, right? They support a lot of causes. They play for a lot of fundraisers and, and other things. Sure. The band has done big promotion for Rock the Vote. They also, interestingly enough, were very vocally in support of Tibetan independence, performing alongside bands like the Beastie Boys at a couple different benefit concerts, and they even played for the Dalai Lama in 2013. The band is also very passionate about the environment. They helped raise a lot of money in the wake of Hurricane Katrina in 2005, and they've played at events sponsored by Al Gore and more. And it's also worth noting, probably, that they're not exactly all great people all the time. Sure. Uh, A couple members of the band have had several, like, assault, battery, and or sexual harassment charges brought against them. Probably no need to go into great detail, but also worth not just ignoring, I think. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, for full context. That's, That's your Red Hot Chili Peppers history lesson. This week, we're talking about Californication. The album came out on June 8th, 1999. By the time this episode airs, we are just a week away from its 23rd birthday. So happy birthday, Californication. Isn't that exciting? No. Oh, well, I'm sorry that doesn't excite you. Sorry, Californication. Sorry your party's lame. No, uh, no, that actually is kind of cool. It is, I know. This album represents a little bit of a shift for the band. They started to abandon some of their way more hip-hop leaning sound and lean more heavily onto the funk side of things. I mean, don't get me wrong, the hip-hop roots are still very apparent, but they choose to emphasize a lot of other elements of their sound as well on this record. And I think that's a cool change. I think it's a positive change. Like we mentioned, like Blood Sugar Sex Magic, this is one of the six albums that was produced by Rick Rubin. Californication has sold over 15 million copies worldwide, and 6 million were in the U.S., which means it's gone six times platinum. Californication peaked at number three on the Billboard 200 and number five in the U.K. It stayed on the U.S. charts for 101 weeks. That is nice. <laughs> nearly two years. In Germany... It was on their media control charts for more than two years, moving 750,000 units there as well. That's a lot of units. It's a lot of units. I I know you're a units guy. (laughs) I'm a big units guy. I wish I had 750,000 units. You will on episode 750,000. Yeah. See you in 14,423 years. I don't know. I don't know if we'll make it, but we'll try. Content-wise... The band claims that this album was born out of, quote-unquote, personal and professional turmoil, and they ended up taking what they describe as a sensitive approach that one might not expect from a band whose followers are skate punks and fraternity boys. So another thing that's notable, too, is Californication was almost very different. The band kicked around the idea of making an electronic record, something that was really kind of out there and experimental, And when they approached different producers about the idea, including someone known for his experimentation, uh, David Bowie, they they went around to producers. But after they got a couple of rejections, they decided to go back to the drawing board, scrap the whole idea of being new and hip, and they went back to their roots. And that's how we wound up with this version of Californication. It ended up being a good decision. I mean, 
750,000 units. That's just in Germany. Yeah, you missed the part where I said 15 million. I mean, at some point, a number is just a large number. Who cares what the actual number is? You're right. You know what? I bet they didn't care. I bet they passed 750,000 and said, eh, doesn't matter if we sell anymore. I don't care about the rest. <laughs> it doesn't matter if we get to 15 million. doesn't matter if we're six times platinum. We hit that magic 750K. Call it. Yep. Well, I can't wait to hit 750,000 wins against the mixtaper, personally. Well, it probably won't take you too long at the rate he's going. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I've uh, I've been on a little bit of a red-hot streak myself. It's not been too bad. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I've held my own this season, suffice it to say. The season should be coming close to an end. That's right. This is episode 47, and season 2 of Factor Spin, or whatever, is slated to end at episode <laughs> 50. So yep. we're, we're in the final stretch here. Well, let's get them on out here. Yeah, let's. It sounds like you've got a snack to eat. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, you enjoy your snack while we play some Factor Spin with the mixtaper. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Hello, hello. Welcome back uh, to you by chance like spicy food we we talked about how connor's lame and oh i love it see that's what i knew you would because you're evil like that you're spicy well what's evil about spicy stuff i mean i am spicy but what's evil about it well yeah it hurts it 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 burns you but it's a good hurt yeah a good hurt do you like a good hurt yeah i like a good hurt good hurts lead the good cries everybody needs a good cry every once in a while yeah no you're right does red hot chili peppers make you cry uh yeah Oh, this is going to be an emotional factor spin for you. They make me cry with the rap rock vibes. Really digging deep to my little mixtaper heart. <laughs> really digging deep to the little mixtaper heart. I guess so. Let's dig really deep into the little mixtaper brain and see what facts and spins you've woven for us this week. Ah, up first. They recorded an album in a haunted mansion. Ooh, we've had a lot of ghost facts lately. Just want to preface, this isn't Ryan the Ghost's house, is it? <laughs> no, I'm still waiting on the return of Ryan the Ghost. Okay, yeah, in our Gabrielle Applin episode, we, we met a ghost called Ryan who was uh, promised to show back up. So, whose haunted mansion was it? Harry Houdini's. Houdini's mansion? Yep. Oh, wow. Okay, and is it haunted by Houdini's ghost? Oh, uh, that's the idea. Okay, say more. What what happens? How does he haunt the place? It's just a place where there's been some paranormal activity, supposedly, and you can do ghost hunt tours and stuff in it, and they camped out there and recorded an album. Interesting. Which which album got recorded there? Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Hmm, okay, a biggie. Yeah. How long were they there working on the recording? Uh, seven weeks. They didn't. Were they there the whole time? You said camping out. Did they live in this mansion for seven weeks? Anthony Flea and John stayed in the house while recording because uh, they said they felt the spirits were friendly. But the drummer, Chad Smith, he found it too creepy and he came in each day by motorcycle. Interesting. Why did they do this? They just want a, a story to tell? Did they like the acoustic sound of the house? I don't know. Uh, I think they just thought it would be a cool kind of sound to be recording in an old haunted mansion. Plus, like I said, it was called Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Yeah. And Harry Houdini's like a famous magician, so it's fitting. Yeah, and I mean, haunted, blood... Did they experience any paranormal activity while they were there? Yeah. Like, what happened to them? No, not not much. It was just a vibe. They felt they could feel the spirit's presence. Hmm. I think I'm going to say this one's probably a spin. I think this one's a spin. This one's feeling like a spin. Yeah. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to record an album. There's a lot of equipment you need and things to set up, and I just don't know if you'd want to set a mansion up that way and live in it for weeks and weeks and weeks while you tried to hammer this record together. Mm, probably a spin. 
you think wrong. This is a wrong. fact. This is a fact? Wow. Yes. In fact, the recording process went so smoothly that Ruben decided to record many more albums there, including the Mars's Voltas de Luz, de, de Luz, other words I can't pronounce, and LCD sound systems, this is happening. No way. That's, that's I had no idea. Yep. Well, I guess it really is a magical album. Uh, on that note, let's just jump into number two, which is the return of the fact they own ghost detecting machines. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> is this the return of Ryan the Ghost? Because it's the same fact. Yep. This is the return of Ryan the Ghost. <laughs> Okay, so let's recap the fact at play. I assume in our Gabrielle Applin episode, you did tell me the entire fact. It was all true. Uh, well, no. So I had I had to put the Gabrielle Applin spin on it. So some details were omitted or changed. Okay, so, I mean, provide me with the correct details. <laughs> let's recap the ones that were true. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that'll get confusing. They got order. Let me just give you some details. How about that? Uh, yeah, just tell me more about Ryan. Well, Ryan was the ghost that they detected with their ghost detecting machines. Yeah. They got these because, so, they recorded Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic in the Haunted Mansion, and that was not the only album that they recorded there. They went back for their follow-up album, One Hot Minute. Okay. They were given a budget of $5,000 for the album, and they used 2000 of it to buy drugs and ghost detecting machines for the week-long stay at the mansion. Interesting. Now, that's a much lower number than you quoted for Gabrielle Applin. Yes. By like a factor of 10. Yes. Now, what percentage of this $2,000 went to ghost detecting equipment? Uh, they bought one EMF reader and one Ouija board. Oh, so not a lot. <laughs> it's kind of, no. <laughs> kind of what I figured when you said they split it with drugs. Um, <laughs> so, so the EMF reader, we kind of have discussed a little bit. They're pretty cheap and, uh, basically they just beep when you put them in a special cold spot, you know, um, uh, mm -hmm. I'm interested to figure out what they learned with the Ouija board because presumably that's how they've discovered the ghost is named Ryan. That's exactly how they figured out the ghost's name was Ryan. Mm-hmm. Though... They kind of had to interpret that based off of what they got. What did they get? Just just the letter R. Well, <laughs> no, they they got the they basically they got uh, the the name Ryan, but there were some extra letters thrown in there in between. In between. Yes, it went R. It went R B Y P Z A N, and so they eliminated the nonsense letters and determined his name was Ryan. You said R-Y-B-P-Z-A-N? Yes, that is correct. So that sounds like a loose interpretation of the name Ryan. Maybe Ryan is short yeah, maybe for... Just a lot of silent letters. Rybipson. <laughs> Rybipson. Yeah. The, the guest name was Rybipson. So... <laughs> so... This is the friendly spirit that lives there. Uh, did they still think it was friendly after meeting it the second time? Yeah. Yeah, they, they just hung out with it while recording the song uh, 
we go. I scrolled down the right down right bits and for later. Uh, <laughs> they, they they recorded the song uh, "Tear Jerker" in the mansion that time. Just that just one the song. one song. And so they just they just hung out with it. Did they uh, interact with Ryan again when they went back for these other albums that you say they recorded there? No, no, that was the the only other second time they went. Hmm. They recorded the album Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and then they went back for their follow-up record, One Hot Minute, where they recorded the song Tearjerker. Ruben took other bands there. Yeah, and when Rick Ruben comes back, does he re-encounter Ryan? Oh, well, I don't know. I didn't I didn't follow up. I don't, I don't even know if Ruben was part of that. Okay, fair. <laughs> You've put me in a pickle here, because let me lay out for you my options. I can say fact, and assume this is true because you've given me the fact before. And uh, if I do that, it can be true, and I'll be right. Or you can say <laughs> the most devastating thing in the world, which is this is a spin and it's about someone else. Ryan, the ghost will return. Uh, or I can say spin. I don't know why I would say spin. This has already been a spin before. But if I say spin, that's me mm-hmm. saying I think this is about someone else in the future. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to say this is a fact. I think this is a fact. I'm going to have to say fact simply because... There's no way you do a third identical Ryan the Ghost fact. Well, Ryan will return in the future. This is a spin. This is a spin. <laughs> I hate this. Oh, we've just got a fact that's going to be stuck here forever. Uh, this is a true fact about someone in the future. <laughs> Ryan will return. We'll be able to tell this fact for years. I mean, you never have to tell me who the real artist is. <laughs> this is the worst. <laughs> I love it. When I when I found the true fact about the Haunted Mansion, I was like, this is the perfect opportunity to bring back the ghost detecting machine. Oh, five episodes later. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, can I ask? Can I ask? This is maybe a little uh, premature. Is Rybipson the actual name that the actual finder of this ghost discovered? Is that real? Or did you just No, make- I completely made that up. <laughs> Uh, but there was some true details I did sprinkle in there. Okay. Um, which is the true de- detail that they did spend $2,000 of their $5,000 budget of one hot minute on drugs. Just no ghost detecting machines. I was going to say, they pretty <laughs> much, even with buying the ghost detecting stuff, they pretty much spent the $2,000 on drugs. <laughs> I, I'm feeling pretty good this week. Gotcha with a fact and with a spin. Yeah, that's that's not a good start. I am not red hot this week. No. I am one chili pepper. <laughs> Well, up next, they once caused a boat crash. Was it the McBarge? <laughs> it was not the McBarge. Was the boat crash a boat that they were on or uh, a boat that they were near? Uh, on. Did they cause the boat crash directly by steering the boat? Uh, well, they weren't the they weren't the ones steering, but they're the ones that caused it. What did they do to cause a boat crash without steering the boat? Were they telling someone where to go? Played a game of chicken. Playing a game of chicken. Like, how so? So to set the scene, I'm going to take you back to 1991 in Amsterdam. Yes, a place I know well. <laughs> During their 1991 stay in Amsterdam, they did a promotional performance where people could pay to go on a small river boat ride and listen to memories of the band perform. Okay. The band split into two boats and went up and down the river where the boats would then meet up under the, I'm going to do my best to pronounce this, the Blahbrug Bridge, where they would play together a version of their song, Under the Bridge. Nice. Well, being the hoons that they were, nice little callback of hoon, Flea and John, who were on their boat, got their little guy. It was just like a little small, you know, river boat. Sure. Uh, they got the guy steering the boat during one of their meetups under the bridge to just drive at the other boat to try to scare them and then turn away at the last second. Yeah. Well, it worked except 
when they made that turn, they were a little too close to the bridge and slammed into the underside of it, causing Flea to be thrown from the boat into the water. Oh, Flea overboard. A wet Flea. That makes, when you first said they caused a boat crash, my assumption was that the band was all on one boat, and then it was a bigger boat, something, I don't know, yachtier, or cruise shipier, or I don't know, just, like, significant boat. A little river boat makes sense, and the band being split into two makes sense. How much is a ticket to ride on the... Red Hot Chili Peppers Riverboat Extravaganza. I don't know. That wasn't mentioned in the article. Fair. Okay. What did the other boat think when they saw the, the Flea and John Boat barreling down on them? Uh, well, Anthony thought it was funny when Flea went overboard. I don't know how they felt about the boat coming at them, but uh, Anthony didn't let Flea live it down for quite a while. I think I'm going to say this one's a fact. Oh, whoa. I thought you were about to say spin. Oh. You were all like, hmm, you were making microwave noises. Mm. <laughs> okay, whatever you say. I I think this one's probably a fact. The under the bridge thing seems a little campy. It doesn't uh, quite make sense. And honestly, I think... Yeah, I'm sticking with fact. Go on, carry on. Oh, okay. All right, well, this is a spin. Yeah! This is a 100% made-up fact. Just kind of made it up because of the song. I just didn't see a reason for that to be made up. Well, that's the ones that get you, right? Uh-oh. There's no reason to make up any of these. Yeah, no, there's there's not. <laughs> and I got one more for you. You haven't been in this situation in a while. Not in a bit, no. I haven't been down 3-0 and since Good Charlotte, episode 34. Wow, it's been a while. It's been a while. I gotta focus up. Yes, my last fact for you. They wore light bulbs on their heads. They wore light bulbs on their heads? Correct. I mean, so my first question is normal sized and color light bulbs, like a like something I would put in my lamp at home or what? Only if you have a really big lamp. These were giant light bulbs. How giant? They were like basically masks. You know, there was a little cutout in it for their face and then there was a giant headpiece, I guess, of a light bulb. And and it actually lit up. This is a big costume. Yes, I actually lit up. What on earth was this for? This was for a concert at 1994's Woodstock. Woodstock? What's the deal? Why light bulbs? They thought it'd be a cool costume. Oh, it had no other relevance to anything? Any songs or any... Well, not not to any songs. They said that they came up with the concept and they liked it because it was kind of similar to the big flame hats they used to wear, but there was no flames, so they felt it'd be simpler. Seems like it would be, yeah. And so they wore these giant light-up headpiece light bulbs and then tin like tinfoil-looking bodysuits. Weird. Uh, what was uh, what was the reception like? Did people love them or hate them or say, what the heck? Well, people liked them, but they had a lot of issues with them. What went wrong? Well, Chad Smith said that they he felt like he looked like a baked potato. Yeah, sure. In the tinfoil looking thing. And then they had a lot of issues where they were trying to put them on and it was in the dark and they were just kind of off stage trying to put them on. And they didn't actually see them until 10 minutes before going on stage. And they weighed about 60 pounds each and they had trouble getting them to light pounds. up at first. Yep. This one's tough because it feels like it has nothing to do with anything. Like, this could just be something you plucked out of that little mixtaper brain and sent my way. Like, it's not anything. But it could be true, and you picked it to tell me it's true because it's in no way related to anything. And this could very easily be false. Which is it? I'm not sure which it is i may suffer an ultimate defeat here Uh oh i got too cocky after talking about beating you seven hundred fifty thousand times and now <laughs> look where i am okay i think this is a fact going with fact you think they wore light bulbs on their head for woodstock 1994 
I suppose they could have. And um, <laughs> it just it just seems so out of left field. It seems like the kind of thing that if it's true and you found it, you would pick it. It's also the kind of thing I would make up. That is hopefully not the case. The answer is... Back. Hey, There's a victory. picture in the chat. Victory from the jaws of well, not victory. I just snatched. <laughs> you still uh, lost. <laughs> I snatched uh, a perfect defeat from the jaws of of, of the mixtaper from the jaws of the mixtaper. <laughs> I did. I snatched a perfect defeat from the mixtaper's hungry little jaws. There's a picture of it in the Discord for you. Wow, they look ridiculous. Uh huh. <laughs> did anyone else dress up at this Woodstock? Was it just them? I have no idea. They were known for dressing up. They once did a performance all dressed as Jimi Hendrix. Are you sure it wasn't Hulk Hogan? Because <laughs> Also, here's a picture of their flame helmets in case you've never seen them. I hadn't, actually. Uh, that's red hot. Well, the light bulb one... Uh, is ridiculous. I, it I is, mean, like I said, you is. see the little cut out for their heads. I don't know how to if it's a hit or a miss. Because it, it's, it's memorable, you know? It's very unique. Yeah. All right, three and one. Three and one. It feels good to to get a win. It would have been nice to have a perfect one. I figured that would be the one you'd maybe get right. I was close. I was on the edge. That one just had a lot of unique details that made it easy to think true. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You were the red hot this week, and I remained the chili pepper. Yeah, I went on a red hot streak of three. Yeah, red hot. I'm interested to know how many uh, Connor's mom got right. We'll have to ask her. We'll, we'll ask her and report back. Until then. Yeah. All right. Goodbye to the mixtaper. Let's talk about the album art on Californication. Nothing short of iconic. This album cover was designed by Lawrence Azerod, a Grammy-winning graphic designer. He actually landed the design job for this record because he was working at Warner Brothers Records at the time, and he says he also got to work with and design for other artists that he admired during that period, like Wilco, Elvis Costello, and more. The cover art on Californication, if you haven't seen it or you need the refresher, it's a swimming pool and a big panoramic sky, except the colors of the sunset sky and the blue water in the swimming pool are inverted. So the pool is fiery orange with clouds in it, and the sky is a deep blue and kind of looks like ripples on the water. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it is. I kind of like it for this album. You know, a lot of the themes of this album that we'll get into in a minute are revolving around drug addiction and how California is kind of a sucky place and and it kind of just feels like the whole world is upside down. And that's kind of what this album cover, to me, starts to portray. I like the contrast between the red being in the pool and blue being up in the sky. Yeah, they don't go together. I mean, not much. You could have easily made this where the water was blue in the pool and then there's like a orangey red like sunset going on or clouds or whatever you know like it was at sunset time you could have made it look somewhat normal but they didn't yeah oh they deliberately picked the most striking way to make them set apart indeed indeed well we got 15 tracks to zoom through on this album so we better get a move on see if we can make it by the end of the episode first up is a song we've actually talked about before on this podcast, thanks to you. And that is track one, Around the World. Yes, we talked about this back on the test episode. That's right. You mentioned it because Kings of Leon's Around the World, you claimed was your second favorite Around the World behind this one. Indeed. Yeah, well, this was the second single from the album. And it's about how beautiful the world is. It's actually based on the Italian drama, Life is Beautiful. And uh, you may have been able to guess that from such lyrics like, I know, I know for sure that life is beautiful around the world. It's a great song. I like the 
the rhythms to it. That's one thing throughout the album we could just talk about for ages is the bass and the drums just work in such great tandem. Mm -hmm. Flea, phenomenal instrumentalist, and it shows. He's like the DNA of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. But, I mean, another thing that we'll probably talk about a lot is how obscure and, like, high-minded some of these lyrics are or come across. Yeah, uh, there's some interesting lofty lyrics in here. There are. Yeah, Anthony Kiedis, he doesn't hold back. He tells it like he sees it. I, I gotta say, some of these lyrics, mm, some of these end rhymes in particular, may be slight moments of certified buffoonery. I have a question. What's your question, first of all? Well, having now already talked about the previous around the world, do you like this one better? Oh, you're not gonna like my answer. I don't know if you remember, you really hated on mm-hmm. <laughs> Kings of Leon's Around the World. I, I do like that one better. Really? Yeah. I disagree. I would have given this one the spin award for best song named Around the World. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm sure you would. I don't know, I really like the pseudo rap sections for the verses with that fun instrumental that kicks off of the album and i mean how can you not love when you get to the outro and it just evolves into ding dang dong dong ding ding dong <laughs> it's so funny it's so funny <laughs> yeah well that last chorus the ding dang dong it was a placeholder for the whole song they didn't have the lyrics when they recorded the demo but they re-recorded lyrics into the real version and when they added those lyrics in you know they were taking home demos and listening to them and flea's daughter heard the the redone track and was like what happened what happened she missed the ding dongs <laughs> so they added them back in for this last verse they decided to pivot but like uh but like some of these lyrics some of these end rhymes warnia and california hallelujah wish i knew ya fountains mountains and the most egregious offense gaio ohio i'm just saying no i'll give you gaio ohio but i don't really see any issues with the other ones What's wrong with Fountains Mountains? Fountains Mountains is is fine. It just, it doesn't, I don't know. I just feel like it doesn't do much. Interesting. There are a lot of end rhymes in this song that just kind of fell flat. These feel like end rhymes that if I had called, on any other album, if I had called them out for being weak, you would be like, no, it's fine. What would you have done instead? That's not true. I don't know. What what I'll say is this is one of the only songs where I had a complaint about the end rhymes. Just one of the only moments. But I guess just because it's the first song, sometimes it, it hits you different than the rest of the album once you're in the zone. I like All Around the World. I do too. But I think we have to move on to track number two, Parallel Universe. That is true. Parallel Universe. The lyrics to this one are trippy. This is one where you really start to see just how uh, convoluted and inaccessible some of these lyrics can get to. Mm -hmm. Underwater where thoughts can breathe easily. Far away you were made in a sea just like me. You know, we've got all these, these images, the solar system in your eyes, the spider webs. Take a look at the stars in your hand. There's a lot of, like, natural imagery and uh, a lot of really, I, I mean, I don't want to just call them all trippy images, but they are a little bit. The stars in the palm of your hand and whatnot. I think it's really interesting how his, like, smooth vocal sound pairs with their rocking instrumentals. Like, they're very opposite styles. Yeah. Well, it, and it's different, too, because sometimes, like, on a, on a song like this, he's able to use that smooth vocal and it's smooth. But then other times, like, around the world, the way that he sings some of those short little jabs of words, it's like he's doing little pinpricks with it, you know? He's got, I guess, not a lot of versatility in the way that he makes his voice sound, but he has a lot of versatility in the way that he uses is the sound that he has i just I, this one the chorus didn't do it for me no sidewinder california king what i liked about that one you know the sidewinder and the california king are two kinds of venomous snakes yeah that's cool uh and so that kind of 
for me, tied into the ways this song might be a drug metaphor. Yeah, I just didn't care for it because he just repeats it twice and then he repeats that like three times throughout the song. And I think the king everything rhyme is weaker than most of the ones you pointed out on the last song. Well, you're not wrong. Yeah, just didn't do it for me. Fair. I have to point out, though, one of my favorite little uh, lyrical decisions that they make is the part where they they talk about a nervous breakthrough makes us the same. It's not a nervous breakdown like you normally would hear about. It's a nervous breakthrough. And I, I just like that little subtle change. I think it's very impactful. I like the next line. <laughs> We're doing that thing again where I focused more on a line around the one you focused on. Yep. I like the kill the pressure. It's raining on salty cheek. Yeah. I really like raining on salty cheeks. The way I interpreted it, at least, was salty cheeks where they're salty because someone's been crying, right? And so the tears have salted the cheek. But now it's raining, which is kind of hiding the tears. Exactly. Exactly. And in a certain sense, washing away the salt. You know, like it's another instance where the rain is kind of a cleansing vehicle. But the next song is one of my favorites on the album and, and probably one of most people's favorites on the album. Scar Tissue. Eh. (laughs) <laughs> Meh, it's a great song, and, and it would become the title of Anthony Kiedis' autobiography. That's how great it is. You can name your autobiography after anything. It doesn't have to be something that was great. What, what would you name your autobiography? The Tale of Two Tapers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a little Charles Dickens action. Boy, uh, he just rolled over in his grave. <laughs> Well, Scar Tissue won a Best Rock Song Grammy in 2000, and it reached number eight on the Billboard charts. It is a song, as a lot of these are, about recovering from drug addiction. According to Anthony Kiedis, he says, It was a playful, happy-to-be-alive, phoenix-rising-from-the-ashes vibe. He said that he ran outside with a handheld tape recorder and just started singing the entire chorus to the song. He kind of just came up with it in a flash moment of inspiration. I do gotta give this song some, some kudos. Yeah. First off, it's got a good guitar solo in it. Absolutely. And secondly, I really like the vocal play they do. Lyrically or vocally, like with the m- melody? I mean, it's a it's a mixture of the two. On the chorus, right, the first chorus, the background uh, singers come in midway through what the lead singer's singing, but, so like, they, he says with the birds and then the background singers come in with share this lone. Meanwhile, he's catching up to them with all share this lonely view. He catches up and passes them with the rest of his line as they're kind of dragging out those words. Yeah. But then on chorus two, one of the choruses, they come in first. And then again, he catches up and passes them. So they, they again, same principle, but they just tweaked it slightly. So I did like that. Yeah. It just, yeah, yeah. the song's not got a lot going on for it lyrically in terms of, it, it's very repetitive. What? The chorus is repetitive. I I really can't fault them at all on the verses because on the flip side of Around the World, like I just talked about, I love Scar Tissue that I wish you saw, Sarcastic Mr. Know-It-All, and we go through all these these weird little internal rhymes, these little bathroom skull, bathroom stall, scarlet drawl. They're very good. They're very good about internal rhymes. We'll talk about it more in a couple songs where they do what I call the triple rhyme. Oh, a triple. I don't know. It's just it, the verses weren't long enough to warrant a full chorus in between every single one of them. And then after the instrumental break, it's just the ver- mm. first verse again in another long chorus. So it just, I got bored with the song. You say that, but it's only three and a half minutes long. Which is what makes it sad that I got bored with it. It's only three and a half minutes. I mean, I guess, but it seems pretty reasonable. If the song's only three and a half minutes and you have five choruses in it, you've not got a lot of room for other new interesting stuff. Well, I guess with the birds, I'll share this lonely view. You don't don't share it with me. It's true. But on the other side, 
See what I did there? No, because you didn't finish the sentence. You just stopped in the middle. It was a good transition. It would have been. Oh, did I ruin it? <laughs> you just stopped. Yeah, you just stopped dead in the middle. Sorry, I got excited for actually having a decent one for one. That's okay. I really like Other Side a lot. I like Other Side lyrically more than I like it musically. Lyrically. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It's kind of got this minor chord feeling to it. This one feels ominous and like it hangs over you. I agree. And I like that ominous feel to it. I think that's interesting, especially when you get all that vivid imagery in the lyrics. It really builds this kind of suspenseful atmosphere. Absolutely. And this is another one like scar tissue has a double meaning. You know, you were hurting, but you healed. It parallels the idea of recovering from physical scars from drug use. Other Side is a song that shares that dual meaning thing that almost like double entendre the life on the other side can be life after addiction or life after death like what comes next a lot of people have speculated that it's a tribute to Hillel Slovak since he died of an overdose himself so it may be somewhere in between the two in the gray area between drug addiction and death and yeah some of these lyrics are so provocative they just they poke you into thinking things without saying them yeah I heard your voice through a photograph thought it brought up the past once you know, you can never go back. I have to take it on the other side. A cemetery where I marry the sea? Yeah, that's haunting. A scarlet starlet, and she's in my bed. How can you not like that? That's very vivid and unique. It's, it's not right. something... <laughs> I see what you've done to me. And, how, and I mean, come on, you're telling me musically you don't find that chorus catchy? Oh, I do, I do. Oh, okay, good. That chorus is so catchy. Well, but it's wedged in between the really interesting, like, polyrhythms mm. of scar tissue and then the pop of get on top. It kind of finds a little valley in the middle. But, yeah, it definitely has its strengths. And I love the AAB rhyme scheme that we get into because it makes other side, as a phrase, really, really pop. Mm-hmm. Photograph passed back, other side. Bed, blood, thread, other side. It just stands out like a sore thumb. Like it's meant to on the other side. I love the profundity of the the song's main question too. How long will I slide? Separate my like side. Just... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it just exu- it exudes this attitude of being fed up with helplessness. Like you're just sick of being mm-hmm. stuck. Good. I really like it. Mm-hmm. And they jerk you right out of it with track number five, Get On Top. Get On Top is a rare one for me. It's one where I much prefer the chorus to the verses. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, the, the, the verses are pretty meh musically for me, but I really like the rhythm of the lyrics for the chorus. <laughs> I know why the verses are pretty meh for you musically. The entire song, Get On Top, is a public enemy-inspired jam session. So that's what they just tried to make a song sound like public enemy. Interesting. Famous for their hip-hop and stuff. Especially like that early era of hip-hop, right? They're one of the first. But then the chorus, they, they get more funky with it, right? Yeah. This is the first major song, in my opinion, to start featuring what they'll do several times later in the album. And that's a lot of non-end rhymes. If you look at like the first bridge, you know, you got I'm a linger on your block and give the finger to a cop to kind of a slant rhyme and pick a lock before I knock. You know, it's just bam, 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 just every other kind of syllable hitting you with a rhyme, giving you a lot of end internal multiple rhymes per line sort of effect going on yeah it's it blitzes you you get another word that matches before you're ready for it grasshopper showstopper the life of a wife swapper you know they're hitting you with that triple a triple yeah and they'll do that several times later they will you asked about uh on our metallica episode you asked about the wah-wah pedal on this song you cannot miss it that's what makes the guitar make the sound that it does the banner like that that little bit in there there's a wah-wah pedal going on it yes i definitely remember the wah-wah pedal good as you should not sarcastic at all yeah exactly i don't know why you keep saying stuff like that (laughs) 
The guitar solo in the song was actually originally meant to be way more prominent, but John Frusciante decided to scale it back. He changed his mind at the last minute after he heard the song Siberian Katru by Yes. Wink, wink. No. So, you know, it's uh, it's Yes inspired. Now, (laughs) what are your thoughts on the specific line, you're ill, but I'm iller? I find it buffoonish, but in a charming way. It's endearing. Yeah, it's endearing buffoonery. I think we need to move on to, other than maybe the song Under the Bridge, I could argue maybe is there uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers' most popular song, or most well-known at least? It's close. It's close. It's between Under the Bridge, Give It Away, and Californication. Uh, I'm pretty certain. Californication, title track. It's the song about how much California sucks. All the nitty-gritty underbelly and such. The things that you don't necessarily see from the tourist brochures, you know? Mm-hmm. I really love the softer start to this song. Yeah, and it took them a while, you know, to find that softer start and to figure out what groove they wanted this song to have. Because Anthony Kiedis, he wrote the words first, but they couldn't find the music to fit it. He showed the lyrics to John, and John started writing music for them. But, Kiedis says, for some reason, even though there was a perfect song in there, we couldn't find it. We tried 10 different arrangements and 10 different choruses and nothing ever worked. He said, we'd been working on it for a few weeks when someone started playing an ultra sparse riff that sounded like nothing we'd ever done before. As soon as I heard it, I knew it was our new song. And that, of course, would be the soft opening to Californication. It struck them like a bolt out of the blue. Californication. (laughs) So here they start doing it again with those internal rhymes. You hit, and little girls from Sweden dream of silver screen. You know, they start hitting you with those kind of slant rhymes, and then they hit you with the dreams in the next line as well. Bride inside in verse three. But it gets a little lost because of the great end rhymes, you know, creation, vibration, and then, of course, they end each one with Californication. And what an interesting word. I mean, what a great hook for the song and title for the album. It really uh, tickles the imagination. What do you think of the pre-chorus? I'm fine with the pre-chorus. No, I love the pre-chorus. I like it. I was going to say, I think it ties in pretty darn well. It sounds like nonsense, but I was reading, and it's actually got some very interesting roots in terms of what it's referencing, where it came from. We don't really have time to go into it on this podcast, but go check it out if you're interested. There's murder involved. Indeed. Indeed, yes. I think Californication might be one of the most lyrically accessible songs. You know, it's not buried in an insurmountable amount of poetic obstruction. It's kind of on the simpler side of putting these pieces together. I love the ideas and the images. They're on another level, but it's not anything we have to go, what the heck is he saying? You know, and I like that. Verse four is probably my favorite verse in the song and maybe one of my favorite verses on the album. I really like it. Oh, I was hoping you'd mention this. It's it's a whole mixed bag space. You know, the moon landing being a hoax. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kurt Cobain, the quintessential avoid the lifestyle mm-hmm. guy. Right. Alderaan, Star Wars, this this mix of cultural references thrown in just to really hammer home that this is showbiz. I like Californication. I think it's got to be one of your favorite tracks on this album. Doesn't have to be. Not specifically you. (laughs) Just the general you. You, the listener, may find yourself enjoying track six, Californication. Easily. But do you think that they would enjoy next track? Oh, no, wait, you already transitioned. I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) Did see you was so smooth you didn't even realize. Uh, I was so focused on my own transition. (laughs) Train left the station while you were still. Easily. It's a bit of a love song in true grand fashion. 
You, you really do have to dig into this one, though, if you want to extract much from it. It's about how you can get caught in a wave and let go once you've kind of found your person, in a certain sense, you know? Yeah, there, there's not a lot of lyrics on this one. It's kind of, it does that thing that you usually don't like. This isn't a general you, this no. is specifically you, Connor. You don't usually like this. It it presents a verse or a chorus and then it repeats. We, we really just run through them a second time. So, <laughs> it's ironic that you called me out on this one because I'm going to say on this one, I liked it. Oh, come on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fine. It's only because... Just surprising. It's only because I didn't offer one listen. Maybe it would bother me more in the future. I just got wrapped up in their syllable play and their lyrical rhythms on this song. You got the line, a licking stick is thicker when you break it to show. The, the cadence on that is phenomenal. I loved it. Uh-huh. And then same thing with the chorus, the ba 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 that they're going. It's it's just so catchy. I got so caught up in it. It's easy to get caught up in, but I don't think this song ever finds much of a groove. Really? Compared to the rest of the album where we funk and, you know, kind of pop all over the place, this song is really You don't find that chorus funky? This song is really blocky. And I think a lot of that is how rigid the singing is. But ah, that's what I love about it. Versus how furious that guitar part is in the background. It's like he said he finds different ways to use that voice of him of his it's the same voice but now he's managed to make it kind of staccato and or as you called it blocky and i mean you, i know you said there's not much going on with the lyrics but i don't know i really like the line specifically a story of a woman on the morning of a war that sets a that sets an image pretty darn pretty darn immediately in your brain and then the next one remind me if you will exactly what we're fighting for this one this one just felt kind of unique to me in terms of the message it wasn't necessarily as much about like the california lifestyle it felt like it kind of diverted to just talk more about this more generic lifestyle yeah i, I like easily enough i'm loving how we're different differing on this album so much <laughs> i know this is one that's really got us tracked to track Sometimes we're just disagreeing over everything, but this one, it feels like you like some and I like some, and we like them opposites for different reasons. The ones you're not really too big on, I love, and vice versa, and then even on the ones we agree on, we like them for different reasons. It's a mess. We're a mess. It's We are a mess. Now, the next song, Porcelain, is the softest touch we get on this record. A bit of a moment to breathe. Rightfully so. Rightfully so, yeah. Don't want to break the porcelain. Yeah, exactly. That's part of it. Keita says that he wrote this song when he saw a woman living in a YWCA with a little girl Hmm. who was on drugs and trying to, you know, turn her life around. But he says, quote unquote, the beauty and sadness and tragedy and glory all wrapped into one of this mother-daughter relationship was evoked by the vibe of that music in porcelain. So that's really what he's going for is that beautiful yet delicate kind of feeling. And it shows a lot of these lines like wasting away in your skin, you know, it's not graphic, but it's super evocative. It was at this point that I determined the second ingredient into the Red Hot Chili Pepper recipe. If you were trying to cook up a Red Hot Chili Pepper song, First, you want some funky internal rhymes. Uh-huh. And secondly, you want to mention the title of your song in the first line. They've done that on six <laughs> of the like eight tracks we've talked about at this point. No, you're right. Uh, and they'll continue to do it on the rest of the album. The only ones that didn't were Californication and Other Side. You're right. And each of those say the titles 90 times. Yep. So, you know, if you're trying to write a red hot, if you're trying to cook up some red hot chili pepper songs, mention that title right away. Really let the audience know what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And maybe you want to throw some red hot chili peppers in there too for, I don't know, a little spice. There's honestly, I mean, aside from the obvious strength of these verses, do you carry the moon in your womb? Someone said that you're fading too soon. Like, there's a lot to, to love about those. Otherwise, I don't know if there's a ton to say about it. Yeah. It's just a soft little breath of fresh air. A little sigh. It's another one where they nail those lofty lyrics. But I'm just not a big fan of the falsetto singing. It's another one of those instances where there's not a strong enough bass under it. And it distracts me off of their good lyrics. Interesting. I decided this is one that you can't be too heavy-handed with. How did you feel about Emmett Remus? It's, I believe, the only song that doesn't actually have its name in it at all. <laughs> I mean, not really, but it does. I mean, it's it's hidden. It's sneaky. It's sneaky. Emmett Remus, if you haven't looked at it or haven't put it together yet, it's just summertime backwards. This song is inspired by Anthony's friendship with Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls. Mm, it, it makes sense for the Red Hot Chili Peppers to be in with the Spice Girls. In the Spice Girls? Uh, yeah, I know, fitting. right? It's too, it's too fitting. The song's about an American man in London hanging out with an English girl. Hence the line, an English girl, American man. No. Yeah, if you, yeah, I'm just dropping knowledge on you. <laughs> There's some other cool lines in this song, too. You know, hesitate but don't refuse. The choice was yours, but you said choose. I love that. This back and forth in the relationship, like who's going to make the decisions? I gave the decision to you, you volleyed it back to me, and we're just, it's going to be what it's going to be. Yeah, this was a forgettable one for me, unfortunately. Uh, I like the chorus. But I do have to, again, give out a couple of kudos. No, it's not kudos. Cu- it's Kiedis. Anthony Kiedis. Uh, oh, oh, I gotta give a couple Kiedis. Kiedis, a couple Kiedis kudos. They've done in this song something that I have stressed in several other episodes that I wish more artists did with their choruses. Harmonica? Uh, oh. Well, <laughs> yes. But, and actually, I guess it was verses. But I've mentioned, this is something we got into a pretty big argument about, and we ended up cutting a good chunk of it, I think, for episode time. On the album Ladylike, the song uh, More Hearts Than Mine. <laughs> Remember? We went to war over uh, More Hearts Than Mine. <laughs> Audience, you don't even know. Yeah. It could have been a B-side <laughs> it cut. It could have been it a B-side long. cut just and with the it's, argument. It's an eight-track album. <laughs> It's an eight-track album, and we talked for like an hour about More Hearts Than Mine. And specifically, we talked about one of the verses. I wanted her to switch, keep the same style rather than just repeat what was already said. Mm-hmm. Uh, change it up, but keep the same style. They did that on this song with their verses. In verse one, they say the California animal is a bear. And they have the parallelism with that in verse three, but they change it up from bear to the California flower is a poppy. And so it's the same thematic ties and parallelism going on, the same concept but they've tweaked it just to give you something fresh and something new that they can play with rather than just repeating the bear line. Something like that is what I was looking for back on More Hearts Than Mine. Yeah, I mean, I like it here. I like it here, and I think it works well. And I know at other times I've complained about them not giving me something new. So this is an example of when I bring it up of what I'm talking about. Right. Now, are you ready to talk about <laughs> what is perhaps <laughs> the dirtiest song we will ever discuss on the podcast? <laughs> I like dirt. I Like Dirt. That's the name of the song, and, uh, well, <laughs> I know I introduced it that way as a joke, but it is a dirty song. Dude, it is so full of innuendo. It's it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of innuendo. So much. So we'll probably just tiptoe yeah. around most of it. I will tell you, my the first note I wrote down <laughs> in my notes was, hey, James, guess what? Dot, dot, dot. I Like Dirt. <laughs> 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 this is what I wrote. 
That is that is the chorus. He just repeats that he likes dirt several times. Yeah. One of the lines I did want to point out that I have a little bit of key to insight on is he says, "Earth is made of dirt and wood, and I'd be water if I could." Yeah. And uh, that line is very personal to Anthony because he says, "Water represents the excessive desire for pleasure." And I'm a water sign, and that's been my whole life. He says, I've wanted to feel pleasure to the point of insanity. And that, dear listener, is why he likes dirt. <laughs> it's just it's another one that establishes a pattern and then repeats it instead of adding new lyrics to the mix. Uh, I will point out on verse 2, he gets you with some more of those sneaky internal rhymes. You got a letter to the pet, bet, or get it to go. They hit you with a lot of ets. <laughs> Et tu, Ketis. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like dirt. It's fun to listen to. Don't, Don't think, think about, about it too much. much. <laughs> <laughs> this Velvet Glove is track 11. It's definitely a bit of a shift. You know, there's a phrase that I had never heard before digging into this album, and it's a phrase that, that's about an iron fist in a velvet glove, a tough interior hidden under a soft, unassuming exterior. And so this song, to me, it could be kind of how you uh, try and soften how you're presenting yourself in spite of having a hard time on the inside, which I think would go hand-in-hand hand with a lot of this album's themes of hiding or recovering from drug addiction and just trying to straighten your life out. To have that iron fist but to try and cover it with a velvet glove. Mm. I'm going to go somewhere with this. Okay, well, don't go too far. You know how when you're baking and something calls for vanilla extract? Yes. The amount of vanilla extract you put in is not controlled by any recipe known to man. It's all about just what feels right and, you know, spur of the moment, how much am I going to put in that sucker? How vanilla am I tonight? Yeah. In most cases, it's almost never too much. You just kind of throw in whatever feels right and boom, you're off to the races. I feel like they did that. They, they vanilla extracted the internal rhymes on this song. They just threw them everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's just oversaturated. I, was, I wasn't sure where you were going with that. But then, I mean, one of the lines that I highlighted in my own notes is, no one is waiting for me to fail and my will could sail. It's such a waste to be wasted in the first place. I want a taste for the taste <laughs> of being face to face with common grace. It's and they just everywhere. They just repeat it again. It is wild. Sitting by the phone, I'm left alone in another zone. <laughs> just everywhere. Yeah. Much like my analogy, it's still not too much. No, I don't think so. I think it's one of the most interesting interesting features of this song i like this velvet glove and i think it's a great way to follow up something as rowdy as i like dirt it's a good way to transition us between that and savior yes savior is interesting because it has an interesting structure it goes verse bridge verse bridge there's not really a chorus and the verse and the bridge are just two completely different tempos and styles yes you know it's just like whiplash of back and forth between these two very drastically different things. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's part of it because the song is about reconciling two drastically different <laughs> things. This is a father-son relationship song. Uh, Kiedis' dad lived the lifestyle of a Hollywood drug dealer, which led to Kiedis getting into a lot of drugs and other things on his own later in life. Mm -hmm. So by the time this album and this song came around, he was really ready to forgive his dad for the way that he grew up and started to repair a lot of those burned bridges. So I think it's a beautiful song. Yeah. You know, dusting off his savior. He's returning to his dad, who used to be his idol, taking him off the shelf and actually trying to find value in that relationship again. Uh, I've, the line, he's just a man all in a hand, really lays it all out for you, you know, because a lot of kids do put their parents up on this pedestal and then when they turn out to not be these godlike heroes you know they feel let down disappointed maybe betrayed a little bit and so to be able to come back around they like said dusting off your savior and saying hey i get it you're just human 
everybody makes mistakes, even you. It makes sense. It does. It does. And, I mean, he expounds upon that, too. He talks about the butterfly effect, how... Yes, I love the butterfly effect. Small little changes can go on to make big changes later on down the road, like a, like a domino effect kind of thing. But while we're talking about lyrics, hang on. I just, I need your opinion on We Are the Red Hots, and we're loving up the love me nots <laughs> yeah so that is the lowest point on the song maybe close to a lowest point on the album it's pretty bad <laughs> it's close it's cl- it's close to the lowest point on the album that's buffoonery ish it's buffoonery to the max i love the idea of loving up the love me nots but boy i don't even care for that they just reached too hard for that rhyme yeah i don't like the concept of loving up like i like love me nots that's clever i don't like that you're loving up the love me nots like there should have been a better way to phrase that get that point across no you're right that's true and you didn't need to call yourself the red hots like get out of here with that no <laughs> That, I think we're in agreement on that. We finally found a point that we can agree on on the album. I, I like the idea of seeing his dad in a beautiful and different light. That's quite a lyric. You know what other song is full of uh, quite the lyrics? <laughs> Purple Stain. Purple Stain. This is another song like I Like Dirt, audience, that you might want to just not think too much about. Don't think too much about it. It's a bit of a double entendre of a song uh, about hair dye and other staining things. Um, I think you could figure that out without too much conjecture by the third line of the song. Just, yeah, I say just get to the third line. <laughs> you will be there very quickly. And honestly, it's a, it's a shame that this is about what it's about because it's so catchy. I just like that rhythmic pattern that he that he wraps along with. Yeah, it's got an interesting rhythm to it. Yeah. I do have a question though. I hope I can answer it unless it's a question about this song. <laughs> Talk to your mother. <laughs> Oh no, it's a question uh, spawned off of this song. Okay. I wanted to, I just want to know if you're an alligator hater. Oh, I'm not an alligator hater. That make you a, uh, I don't know where I was going. <laughs> you, just, you just gave up, didn't get anywhere. <laughs> well, I was going to say a member of the Crocodile Club or something like that, but. Boy, that was know. bad. No, I'm not an alligator hater. Okay, so you're not going to get it on with the Red Hot Chili Peppers then? No, probably not. I do like that whole line though, because he says, he says up to my butt in alligators. Let's get it on with the alligator haters. Like what? I'll tell you, the only thing that drives me up a wall more than an alligator hater is someone who practices crocodile denial. I can't stand it. I hate that you were able to do that so quickly. I'm so annoyed. (laughs) No, the Spin It podcast... We believe in alligators. We love alligators and believe in crocodiles. (laughs) And that PSA was right on time. Yeah, let's just get out of Purple Stain without doing too much damage. Yeah, (laughs) let's just move on. (laughs) Um, Right on time is the next track on the album. And I'll be honest, I don't know what this song is about. This is one that is just, I mean, the best guesses I've seen or heard. I just, I just don't know. This song is just kind of a hot mess. I love all the pop culture references, so I don't really care. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just uh, being right on time to be alive at the same time with all these pop culture things. You got uh, Supercalifragilistic thrown in there. Uh, You know, Alderaan was a few songs back. They mentioned uh, Joan of Arc, which isn't really that big of a pop culture reference, but it's a a history reference. Yeah, and the album ends with uh, another super uncharacteristic track, right? on the same kind of level as porcelain although i think porcelain is still a little more delicate and soft it's road tripping i like this one 
So for me, this back half of the album has been pretty hit or miss with the majority of it falling on the miss side of the line, I think. But I think they ended on a high note. I like this song. Yeah, I think I do too. It's one of the band's few drummerless songs in their entire catalog. It's one of the rare occasions. I don't even remember what I liked about it. My only note on this song was they ended on a high note. Oh, <laughs> your only note? There you have it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I guess I just got wrapped up in the song. It's easy to get wrapped up in. I mean, listen listen to these verse 2 lyrics, right? So much has come before those battles lost and won. This life is shining more forever in the sun. It's top notch. You go on a road trip, you forget your battles. We're, we're in the sunshine now when we're cruising. Good end to the album, Red Hot Chili Peppers. It is, yeah, a solid end to the album. But it's, a, it's also a solid lead-in to our final spin. Sure it is. I think we should just make it a norm that you give your top threes nope. <laughs> before we make nope. playlist picks. I'm holding you hostage so you can't use my top three to base what song you want off of there. You're forced to take what you truly want out of fear that I won't pick it. I know. I know. It's frustrating. Because I've got mine picked out. I, I already know what mine's going to be. If I were picking two from this album, I would take Scar Tissue and Californication. Yeah, well. Exactly. I know. You're not going to take Californication. Which means I want to take scar tissue. And I'm, well, I'm definitely not taking scar tissue, so. Exactly. So I'm taking scar tissue for All the right, Californication's not in and up on it. You're not gonna, that's, that's the way it is. Let's talk scores. Musically, I think this album is maybe at its strongest in the music department. I love a lot of the rhythms at play here. This rap rock style, this like pseudo funk hip hop blend really, really suits this band. And that in large part is due to Flea's awesome bass playing and Anthony Kiedis's really distinct voice. It keeps every song interesting and, and memorable. Honestly, there's none of these songs really that run together. Music is, is really strong. I'm giving it an 86. Lyrics are tough. This is a dense album. I think uh, when they insert new lyrics, they throw something fresh at you. It's generally pretty good. It's very tough to dig into sometimes. They're a little too disjointed from time to time. And another thing that they do a lot that we've already mentioned is they are pretty bad offenders about presenting a verse, pre-chorus, chorus, and then just repeating them later on in the song so we don't get any new lyrics. Sometimes we just get some really kind of tough end rhymes and some really buffoonish moments. Given lyrics in 82. Instruments in production, it's not bad. A lot of the instrumentalists are great. They're very talented at what they do. But this album is a long album. You know, 15 whole tracks. With the exceptions of Porcelain and Road Tripping, they all just hammer home that sound. There's not a lot of deviation from it. And while I think that's good sometimes for consistency's sake, I don't think it, it is very great for the production score. But I'm giving production an 82. And last but not least, the overall vibe. People talk this album up a lot, I think. I think Californication has a bit of a reputation that precedes it, and I certainly was surprised to find it not living up the first time I listened to it, and maybe that's just a hurdle I've never quite been able to get over. It's got some highlight moments, you know, it's got some things that I really like, but uh, a lot of the album ends up fading into the background, not in part, you know, due to the fact that it's so long. 15 tracks is, is a lot to take to heart and memorize and remember. I'm giving the overall vibe a 79 which takes our final score to an even 84. Oh, wow, an even 84. That doesn't, we don't get even actual like whole numbers very often. No, it's not often a whole number, but that's a flat 84 from me. Where's that put it? Uh, it's hovering currently right around the halfway point, number 252. Not a bad score by any means. Uh, it's just uh, it's an album that surprised me for the wrong reasons sometimes. That's my take. Well, my take. Are you red hot on this one, or are you a chili pepper? I think I'm a, I think I'm a nuked pepper. Oh, you're 
a, a nuked pepper. Like microwave, like when you like when you nuke something in the microwave to just give it some heat. Yeah, to clear a room or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a microwaved pepper on this. Not chilly, not hot. Hot on the outside, but maybe still cold in the middle. There you go. Yeah, it's still got that cold center to it. That's like I said, things I really liked about this album, things that they this band has done that other artists I wish they had done. You know, that they did a lot of things right for me. But they also just did a lot of things meh. And so I'm sitting pretty. You said you're. It ended up for you middle of the road. This one's probably going to end up pretty middle of the road for me, too. My top three in album order. Around the World. Yeah. Other Side. Okay. Not one I... Californication. Mm-hmm. And Conorable Mention goes to Easily. Interesting. So you said Scar Tissue and Californication would be your top two if you could have it your way. Yeah, I think so. Uh, my two would be Other Side and Californication. So we could agree to make Californication one and then pick something else that we can both amicably agree upon for the second pick. Mmm. Attempting proposal. I say we stick with it. I say we stick with it because last week we also picked consecutive tracks from Montero. So this time we'll pick tracks three and four where I think last time we took two and three. All right. So then Other Side and Scar Tissue. I think that's a solid two for the playlist. I really like the Other Side. It's not bad. It's one of the... It's, it's in my top half. As for my score... Yeah, you said middle of the road. I'm curious to see whether this is middle of the road from these 46 episodes or whether this is middle of the road like five. It's middle of the road for the episodes we've run. Okay. So this one is therefore getting seven ribipsins out of ten. Seven ribipsins. Okay. Seven maybe feels a little high to me for you. Really? But it is your choice, yeah. Pretty middle of the road. It's actually going to slot right under... Nirvana right above Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah. Okay. Ribipson would be proud. <laughs> we might end up with seven Ribipson facts before you ever find the true one. I better not. That's what I'll <laughs> say about that. The mixtaper better know when to not. <laughs> <laughs> better know when to not. That le- that brings us to a fiery close to a chilly episode. Yeah. A, a red hot end, I guess. <laughs> anyway, if you're uh, looking to keep up with us, wherever we may be and whatever we may do and whatever albums may be coming out, you can check us out on the web, on Twitter, at SpinItPod, on Instagram, at SpinItPodOfficial, and everywhere else, www.spinitpod.com. In the meantime, uh, Connor, I have to ask, are you excited for the next episode? Uh, absolutely. What is it? <laughs> oh, well. Oh, 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 wait, I just looked at the list. Yeah, uh, uh, uh. It was... <clears throat> Yes. Yes, that's the answer I was hoping for. (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. Connor is excited about the next episode, so you will be too. You gotta be careful, though, you know. Sometimes when I get excited for an episode, you know, things go awry, so I'm a bit fragile when it comes to... Oh, fragile, yes. My my confidence in how I feel about the upcoming episodes is a bit fragile, yes. Fragile, yes. Well, we will see you (laughs) next week for whatever the heck that was. And until then, you stay red hot. Or you be a chili pepper. I don't really care. But either way, keep spinning. Keep spinning. Why would why would anybody write a song like Purple Stain? I don't know. Maybe maybe they spilled some great Kool-Aid. Maybe I song. When I spill great Kool-Aid, I don't think about that. <laughs> Listen, the idea might have gotten lost in translation along the way, but maybe that was the genesis of it. Ooh, maybe. I don't know, and I don't want to know. You a microwave? Ooh, <laughs>